Hello, and welcome to Public Key, the podcast from Chainalysis. This is your host, Ian Andrews. Over the last month, it seems like the entire crypto industry has started talking about proof of reserves, off-chain liabilities, and counterparty risk. On this podcast, we often focus on regulatory compliance and KYC for identity verification or transaction monitoring to prevent money laundering. But this week, we're going to dive into the world of financial controls with Gil Hildebrand, who's CEO of Gilded. Gil tells me that for many of his clients, the key to a secure operating model is removing the silos between the finance team and the dev and operations teams. Gil explains that many Web3 businesses are not prioritizing their back office operations and as a result, taking on unnecessary risk. But by focusing on 10 key areas he's identified, these companies can radically improve their security and operational efficiency. For more on this topic and all things crypto, start planning your trip to New York for the Chainalysis Links Conference, which is happening April 4th and 5th, 2023. And because I'm sure your crypto bags are a little bit lighter, than the last time we held this conference, I've authorized 50% off tickets for a limited time. No special code required, just head to the link in the show notes. But do it today because prices will go up soon. Today I've got another CEO and founder, Gil Hildebrand, CEO of Gilded Finance, joining me on the podcast. Gil, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ian. Great to be here. Gil, I have been so excited all week for you to join us because. I looked at your bio and I did not see a CPA degree. I did not see an accountant. I saw a self-made technologist. You've held a bunch of different roles throughout your career. I saw CTO. I saw co-founder. I would describe you as a technical serial entrepreneur. Somehow you're running a company that's now specializing in solving all of the accounting challenges that are coming to companies in Web3. So you got to share, how did you get to this place that, that we're meeting you in? I was a software developer for 20 years. It's, it's what I always knew that I was destined for in high school, started working professionally. When I got to college, I started my own tech consulting company and quickly started doing that full time because I was just crushing it. And I was like, why am I going to school when I'm learning so much doing this? So I went down that path. I've been an entrepreneur almost as long as, as a software engineer. I'm from New Orleans where I had started this business pre-Katrina. When Katrina hit, I knew things were going to be very different. So I started looking for new opportunities. I ended up getting connected to Seth Godin of you know, Seth's blog and The Dip and many other uh, famous marketing books. And Seth and I started a company together called Squidoo. Squidoo was a social publishing platform where we paid back half of the money that we made to the people that created content on our website. Sounds like a Web3 startup that could be started today. But we started that in 2005. Wow. So that was when, you know, I remember when the term Web2 came about. Here's the thing. As part of our business model, we paid back half of the money that we made to people that created the content on our platform. And I had to figure out how do we pay tens of millions of dollars to people all over the world in 2006, 2007, 2008. Spoiler, it it was really hard and there never was a good solution. We were using PayPal, we were cobbling together different approaches, but it was clear that the financial system didn't keep up to the internet. That company was acquired. Then many years later, I discovered crypto and I saw a chart that showed the growth in the number of people uh, that were getting crypto wallets over time 
was trending the same growth rate as the number of people who got internet access over time. That just floored me. You know, I saw, okay, here's a 100x technology improvement, just happens to be in the financialist system. If it's growing just as fast as the internet and has the potential to be just as big, then what would businesses need? You know, always having that sort of entrepreneurial mindset. And I started thinking, okay, every business had to get a website, they had to get an email address. What would it take to get a crypto wallet? And it turns out that getting a crypto wallet is free, just like getting an email address. But if you start using that thing, man, it can be an operational nightmare. And so I started Gilded, you know, had experience as an entrepreneur looking for what is going to be the blocker to businesses being able to come on board. And that's really what we're about solving. I love that story. It's a clear build of kind of market observation challenges, uh, embracing a thing that a lot of people don't worry about. Also looking at the side of the market that's not really sexy, but is critical. Uh, if you're building a business and, you're, and your back office operations are a mess, things are probably not going very well for you. Tell, tell us a little bit more about the company. Like I'm sure listeners are fascinated to understand what do you actually do? Like what is decentralized ops? I so that's a term that you use in some of your company material. Maybe you can just give us the high level to start. Certainly, Gilded and Chainalysis sort of share the same idea about doing the really unsexy parts of this industry that are actually critical to his success. We feel that that's actually a great opportunity. We've sort of defined what we do as decentralized ops or DOPS. Seems like a good term to frame up what we've discovered is more than an accounting problem. It's more than just a reactive, let me figure out what was done problem. Because this is a new industry where there aren't best practices, where the CTOs and the product teams are leading the entire company through this new venture that they've started with a technology that that's brand new as well. What we see is that people are reactive because they have to be. When I say people, I'm talking about the back office, the finance department, the accounting department, the operations team. They're having to sort of do things on the fly. What if they were proactive? What if they had an opportunity to set up better processes that could scale? What if they had an opportunity to think about things like, what is our wallet infrastructure and how should we set that up so that it's not difficult to account for later? What is our treasury management strategy? And so the gist of Gilded is we're helping businesses solve all the back office operational challenges. Now, what that looks like from a software standpoint, because we're a software company, is we offer a base layer that connects to the blockchain, gets all your financial activity in one place. And just as Chainalysis can also very much appreciate, although all that data is public, it's not so easy to understand what's going on. I often say it's not human readable, right? It's public, easily accessible, but that doesn't mean that it's easily understandable by average humans, right? That's exactly right. And the way that I put that sometimes is we turn blockchain data into debits and credits. So instantly someone with a finance background would resonate with that. And it turns out that that's actually incredibly challenging to do. There's lots of blockchains. On top of that, we have this entirely new set of financial primitives where in the old world, if you needed to build a new connector, there's only one concept of a bank account. Whereas in crypto, you have these smart contracts which are 
mimicking financial functions, but there's a different chef in every kitchen. So you have to really understand what exactly is going on. And that's kind of a never ending list of different things. But imagine if you are, you know, someone who's in the back end of an organization where that organization is chock full of people who understand the product and the tech side because they're into that. But you have been brought along and, and said, someone told you, hey, we expect the operations to go perfectly. And for you, you're like, how do I accomplish that? You fall back to kind of doing things manually. And, and that's great, except it doesn't scale. And everyone believes they're in crypto because they believe it's going to 100x from here. And if your goal is to be able to, to 100x your operational capacity and strategy, how do you do that? It seems like a massive challenge. I don't often see it talked about a lot. You know, back in April around U.S. tax season, there were quite a few tweets on Twitter that was like, oof, you mean I can't take losses from the current year and apply them back against gains last year? And, you know, this is people kind of goofing around on Twitter and being silly. I do imagine that there's quite a few companies that have gotten caught out, like kind of just misunderstanding the effects of launching a fan NFT and distributing it with some value associated to the artifact. Listeners in the audience are going, oh, yeah, that's me. Like, I'm really concerned about our accounting practices as it relates to digital assets that we've either got on the balance sheet or that we're in process of creating and launching. Should they be running out and getting in touch with Gilded? Is that the type of customers that you're working with today? Yeah, absolutely. So one example is a major game publisher who we just signed on recently. It was the executives in the organization who were leading their efforts to dive into Web3, you know, almost like a skunk works within a large company and but coming from the top. So very important stuff. And they were sort of blazing the trail for the rest of their team including the finance and, and operations teams. So they need to have a number of discussions like, where are we going to hold our crypto? Are we going to hold crypto? And you know, are we gonna convert it to stable coins? Are we going to reinvest it in the market? All those sort of questions need to be answered. But in addition to that, there's just kind of basic questions about how will we know if we're making money or not? And then there's more advanced questions like if we are selling NFTs, for example, which is, seems to be the gateway for major companies to get into crypto these days, where are you going to determine who your buyers are and whether you have a loyal fan base of people who are new that are coming from crypto, or if they're people that are maybe existing customers, just loyal fans of yours since before you were in crypto. Like, how do you figure those things out? So more of a business intelligence type of problem. There's just so many different things that people get into this and they realize, whoa, this is actually really hard. You know, they start looking at transactions on the blockchain and they're like, what exactly is going on here? And even worse, what we see all the time is that the dev and product teams, they make decisions and don't really keep the rest of the team updated because they have a deadline. They're behind schedule, they're moving fast. So when it comes to launch day, you know, the executives are like, hey, I need my reporting. And the finance teams are like, the numbers don't match up. It's because they don't have the right data. And that's what DeOps is all about is like, can we be part of that conversation earlier? The challenge that these people have is that they don't know what they don't know. So a big part of this is education. What do you need to know about? What are the gotchas that 
if this is your first crypto project that you actually need to be prepared for? I think a lot of the challenges you just described always exist in software, right? You launch a new product, you start getting users, things break, you fix them, you get more users, things break again. You have that cycle of kind of learning as as you go, iteration. I mean, it's been a, a part of sort of uh, software development over the last decade with iconic books like Lean Startup and the, the Eric Ries movement of launch an MVP, build it as you go. The difference in crypto that has struck me over the last couple of years is like, no, the thing that you are often launching is a financial product or a derivative of one. Like there's real bottom line dollars often intertwined in this MVP product that you're bringing to market. And so it, it raises the bar of where I think that MVP is. Like a software product that you launch, obviously there's a cost if it fails or you need to retire it but there's not a complex accounting treatment behind the scenes that, that you now need to go figure out, or at least not quite as complex as what I'm seeing in crypto. Shifting gears a little bit, your company's gotten, I think, uh, starting to build a small content empire. I saw you launched a podcast, which we'll link to in the show notes. You've been posting quite a bit on some of the social media platforms, launched a blog, which I'm now subscribed to. I've enjoyed the first couple episodes. One of the posts recently, you laid out eight things that a company has to uh, should be thinking about as they're launching into this space. I'll just read them off quickly, and then I'd be curious to hear from you, like, where do you see the biggest challenges people are encountering today? So one, custody, two, operational security, three, authorization, four, treasury management, five, wallet hygiene, six, financial reporting, seven, vendor evaluation, and eight, continuing ed. Those all sound pretty important to me, but I'm curious, where where do you see the biggest challenge today when, when you're talking with your customers or prospective customers? This sort of framework is in accounting terms called internal controls. And it's a definitely not a sexy term at all. But what we're trying to do is think about what are the internal controls that maybe mirror or are adjacent to the typical internal controls that you would see within an organization. Things like segregation of duties, right? So that the person spending money isn't the person accounting for it so that you know that there's a checks and balance there. That would be an example of a more traditional internal control. What are the ones that are specific to crypto? And it's because if you're new to this industry and you're in finance or operations, you don't know what you don't know. And so just knowing what all the different things are, you need to be aware of if you're a trusted advisor to your organization, that's important, laying those things out. So typically the custody part is actually one of the easier ones to solve because if you're in crypto, more than likely you have some strong tech people on your team that can advise you into what's important from a custody perspective. Now, just because they may have set up some secure, safe wallets at the start, doesn't mean that you should just trust that without setting a policy around, hey, how are we going to use wallets? Um, do the developers launch new smart contracts from their own MetaMask wallet that's on their computer? And how are you? You, you laugh, but I mean, that that's very, very common. So yeah. if they leave the organization, who has the private key? That's just one example. 
And yep. so there's a lot of things like that. So having a policy for that is important. There's what we call OPSEC, which is in traditional accounting world, you might have like a SOC 2 report, which is going to make sure that your organization is really operating well from a security standpoint and actually doing auditing around that. You may not be a company that needs a SOC report, but this is an industry that is very adjacent to money. And the more successful you get, the more you will be hunted. I hate to say it, but the more you'll be hunted by people who are looking to spam and, and scam you. So OPSEC is important for any business in the space. And that's things like you know phishing training for your team, it's things like using password managers and two-factor authentication that is, is an SMS, all of those sort of nuts and bolts. The next thing, authorization. Who has the ability to spend crypto? It's a little bit different than a bank account where you may have your controller who has certain spending limits on your bank account. You may have a CFO or a CEO who can send wires and cut checks and all those sorts of things in crypto. Often you're dealing with multi-signature wallets. So who holds those, the keys to the multi-sig? What happens if someone leaves? It's easy to overlook because the tech people, the CTOs you know, of the organization are the ones who kind of handle all of that stuff. But you've got to think about it you know, and set a policy around it as well. That has to get really complex in the space of a DAO, right? Where you've now got a disaggregated community of people who all get to sort of vote on allocation of funds, at least at some level. And I know that each DAO has a little bit of different approach to this, but I'm curious if you're doing any work in that space or have an example of how you've approached kind of good governance around spend in, in the DAO context. There are very few DAOs that are completely decentralized in the sense that there's just this piggy bank that everyone has to vote on in order for anything to be spent. What we have seen emerge as a concept for the larger and more mature DAOs is that, go figure, this idea of hierarchy actually is helpful. <laughs> this idea of governance is actually helpful. While they are decentralized in the sense of, you know, having this very broad, vast community, Typically what they'll do is they'll set up different work streams that effectively are like different departments in the organization. And each one is responsible for a different function, whether that function is community building or technology or investment. There could be many different work streams focus on different areas. In some of the biggest, like in MakerDAO, for example, what we see is that each work stream will effectively request their own budget, and then they will get the greater DAO holders to give them a budget. And from within that, it's more centrally operated. This idea of basic government, which we kind of got away from in the early days of crypto, we realized, yeah, you actually kind of need that a little bit. Interesting. That is fascinating. I think you had a couple other things in your list. Maybe just, just highlight the one or two others that, that were uh, top of mind. Yeah. So wallet hygiene, this is so crucial to get right. And it's the thing that our customers actually come to, to us with having the most challenges. Wallet hygiene basically means before you create a new wallet or a new use case, think through it. Like, is this gonna create an accounting nightmare? Or is this gonna create a security risk the way that you're doing this? Like when you're using a hot wallet, when are you using a cold wallet? Is it important that 
certain transactions are really difficult to track. And I, I don't necessarily mean from an AML perspective. I mean, from the perspective of, hey, we're paying people salaries and we don't necessarily want it to be you know, mapped back directly to people. Like being sensitive to those kinds of things. You may decide, sure, it's this is we want to be transparent, but you need to think through those things. What what is the flow of funds? So what are the activities that you're doing? Are you investing in liquidity pools? Are you selling NFTs? Mapping out those workflows from a transaction standpoint is really important to the you know finance team to be able to understand like when they're looking at these wallets and the activity, what's going on? And chances are there's probably better ways to organize it if they only got involved sooner. It strikes me as we're talking, the scale of certain project teams is pretty small. Like I, I know quite a few groups that are sub 10 people. And so when we talk about this idea of a finance team and an accounting team and a operations team and a security team, it's like, well, no, there's, there's three or four <laughs> of us. We had a good idea. You know, we came up with a really cool, you know, art concept and we're going to go mint on Polygon, low fees. We're going to distribute them to our friends. And all of a sudden we've got a popular project. What do you recommend at that scale, right? Like not yep. the other end where it's, it's MakerDAO. Obviously they're established. They've been around for years. They've got you know, rigorous organization structure. I think from what I can tell, like mature governance. I can imagine how like the approach here makes a ton of sense for what where they are. How about for everybody else just getting started? Yeah, I get it. You know, as a small startup, you don't really want to think about the operational stuff. Totally get that. My advice in that scenario is to attempt to minimize complexity. So try not to, to create a million wallets and trade on three different exchanges. We see that where the CEO is trading in crypto on, on his personal portfolio. So, you know, as soon as they get some crypto in the door, well, let's put it in this liquidity pool because I can make, you know, 10% instead of it letting it sit in my wallet. And then we actually need to transfer it to this one exchange because they you know, have a certain token that we want to invest in. And next thing you know, you have three exchanges and 10 wallets. Try not to do that. Have one exchange account. At least just document like what your wallets are for and have some way of being able to go back later and understand what your transactions were for. That is the hard part. Anyone who has to deal with their taxes at the end of the year knows how hard it is to just kind of think back and say, you know, what did we do? Like, well, why did I spend money on this? And it's a million times worse with crypto because there's no bank statement you can look at that says that you actually spent this money at a restaurant. You're not going to get that. Right. If you can just create like an Excel sheet that, you know, just kind of marks even just the date of crypto purchases, you may, even if you don't have the transaction ID, just the date and what it was for is better than nothing. That's the bare minimum that I would say. I'm curious, maybe at the other end of the spectrum now, big institutional adoption. I know from talking to Chainalysis customers like Bank of New York Mellon, they go through this same back office kind of operational challenge onboarding their organization and they have to deal with it at massive scale, right? They're uh, one of the oldest banks in the world, huge focus on security and rigor around compliance and accounting standards. And you're suddenly explaining 
hey, here's this new thing called digital assets, and we're going to start accepting those from our customers. What do we need to do? How much of your time are you spending on that end of the spectrum? Are you involved in any larger kind of institutional projects at Gilded? We try and focus on those who have a immediate need as opposed to the more educational type of discussions. We put out lots of educational content, but what we are seeing is that public companies, they're interested in getting in with NFTs. It, it's just so appealing because it is, in many cases, found revenue. So you have this great brand. How can you get more from it? And if you can do that while also connecting with a newer, younger consumer who wants to be connected to this brand. And by the way, it gives you data. Not that it's easy for you to get that data today, but you have that data. Wow, that's awesome. Now they don't necessarily want to receive crypto yet. And there are cases where they do. And we are involved in those types of discussions when large organizations are, they're planning to hold crypto, but most often they're quite happy to just kind of sell the NFTs. And if they make money from it, you know, can I get paid in dollars? I think that conversation is starting to change because there's companies like Chainalysis that are paving the way for this to be a regulated space. There's companies like Fireblocks that have institutional grade custody solutions. And recently, I think a big industry change has been the notice from the FASB about impairment and no longer necessarily needing to mark assets down on your balance sheet forever. And being able to, to mark those assets at fair value, that is hard to underestimate how important of a change that is because you know micro strategies getting crushed because they've had to mark all their assets down so much and public companies why would you ever want to mark something down even if it goes back up again for listeners who are maybe uh, not experts in counting rules in the US crypto is treated as a type of asset that requires if you're held on your balance sheet value declines over the period of a quarter you then have to market to the value at the end of the period bitcoin goes from 60,000 down to 20,000 you're actually taking that $40,000 loss on your balance sheet unfortunately and until this change that gil just described if the value of bitcoin then goes back up to 30 you don't get the benefit of that gain if you're continuing to hold the asset, you would realize the gain at the point of, of selling the Bitcoin. And so if you're a long-term holder, uh, you have this kind of negative effect that follows through, which I think you're right, has been a huge discouraging point for organizations that would otherwise be crypto friendly to holding some of these assets. I was actually going to ask you, you're much closer to this than I am, I would assume, like where is the accounting standards industry? So I think that's the people that produce like gap accounting rules which I think is the FASB in the US, and then there's like IFRS internationally. Where are they as far as crypto goes? Is there a clear set of standards? Is there like an emerging working group who's getting close to producing something? Or are we still trying to figure out if crypto is important from an accounting standpoint? Well, there are certainly working groups. There aren't a ton of rules yet around accounting for crypto and how that might be different from other assets. I think that they're kind of taking a, a wait and see approach. The recent news about in, impairment is definitely the biggest thing that's happened in, in terms of accounting rules, certainly in the last couple of years. 
What is also important to talk about is what the IRS is doing. You know, the IRS now has on the 1040 tax form, do you have any interest in virtual currency? We've had that for a couple of years now. They have stepped up enforcement. So they've communicated that recently where initially they were targeting people who are outright scammers, you know, people who are obviously doing something nefarious. Now what they're doing is they're actually creating enforcement actions against people who aren't filing. So that's definitely a change and an important one. The IRS is also putting out some guidance around how certain types of assets are treated. It's not nearly as clear as it needs to be. And I think with any regulation in crypto, there's this tension between wanting to move quickly because this industry is moving quickly versus potentially moving too quickly and doing the wrong thing too early and kind of pumping on the brakes. And so it's very challenging to know where that line is. That creates a huge challenge for people, especially in the accounting world, because you are forced to go with whatever is more conservative when you would like to make a decision that maybe isn't aggressive, but isn't conservative. For example, there was a a recent court case where there was someone who was receiving staking rewards and they had a dispute with the IRS over whether they should have to pay income on the staking rewards right when they receive them or when they sort of convert them, you know, claim them converted to another asset. Ultimately, that case was dismissed before there was a verdict. So now we're still in this gray area. And that's one example of you know, if you want to protect your company or your client, you are going to push for a more conservative approach that may end up with a greater tax burden. So I think the summary is we're still in wait and see mode when it comes to accounting standards in crypto. The tax landscape is complex. Keep all your records, document them as much as possible. All those airdrops, all those staking rewards. Gil, this has been a ton of fun. I've learned a bunch. It's made me certainly question the the operational standards of some of the the smaller projects out there and think about, hey, you know, this, this should probably be a focus area as we're building through the crypto winter, like let's make sure we're investing in, in the areas you've highlighted. And obviously Gilded is uh, is probably got a huge opportunity in, in front of us to make crypto more secure and safe. Thanks for the time today. Thanks Ian, it was great to be on the show. Hey there, thanks for listening to another episode of Public Key. If you enjoyed it, leave me a review or share on your favorite social platform. Just tag me, I'm at Ian Andrews DC on Twitter. With all the media attention this week focused on the FTX collapse, many people didn't notice that defunct exchange, BTCE, sent nearly $165 million worth of Bitcoin, nearly all the funds left on the service, to a group of personal wallets and other exchanges. This marks the largest withdrawal by BTCE's controllers since April of 2018. For context, BTCE was a Russia-focused crypto exchange that US authorities shut down way back in 2017 due to its role in laundering funds associated with a number of notorious cybercrimes, including the 2014 Mt. Gox exchange hack. For the latest on the status of those funds, follow Chainalysis on Twitter, LinkedIn, and our newly launched TikTok channel. The links are all in the show notes.